0: Welcome to The Approach Shot, the golf show that's more laughs than links, more stories than strokes, more guffaws than golfers. Here are the hosts of The Approach Shot, John Ashton and Neil Michaels. And thank you to the lovely Diane. We are here. It is us.
2: I'm John Ashton. He is Neil Michaels. We have a fantastic guest coming up in a little bit.
3: Yes, we do. Thank you, Diane. Instead of paying her, that's what we give her is just a thank you.
2: We do. Thanks, yeah. Diane. Yeah, and she loves it. I mean, she works for thank yous. They, she oh, just, good. yeah, and, and and free golf, which <laughs> I have supplied like on, you. on a regular basis.
3: <laughs> I can relate. <laughs> so I had something I wanted to bring to your attention this week. I know last week I got up on a big soapbox. Mm-hmm about some things, and today I don't have a soapbox to get on, oh, but I God. did want to mention something you may have seen, and if you did, just hang with me, and, and to the listeners, if you saw it, just hang with me, because I just thought it was one of the most incredible things I'd ever seen. Last week, during the Wyndham tournament, mm-hmm. did you watch? Yes. Okay, did you watch round three, which was Saturday? No. Round three of the Wyndham, on the 18th hole, one of my favorite golfers, Webb Simpson, Mm-hmm. Steps up to approach his ball, and he is six feet from the green, and he's got an uphill lie, and then on the green for the first, I don't know, three, four, five feet. It kind of goes uphill a little bit, then it crests, then it goes down. Okay, okay. I'm just trying to paint a picture. Sure. Webb steps up, takes a couple of practice swings, and then chips the ball, and it goes right to the crest of that little hill and stops. And then it rolls back just a bit and then a little bit more, and then picks up speed and rolls off the green, down the hill, and lands and presents itself right at his feet where he was standing. Mm. Now, that's a shot I would hit. That's a (laughs) shot you would hit. That's not a shot you expect a PGA golfer to hit. And I can tell you, and I know the difference in our personalities. We've talked about this over the years. Mm -hmm. I would have gotten really upset. I would have cussed. I would have told the ball where it could go. I would have looked at the grass and said it was cut wrong. I would have blamed my club. Oh, wait, that's somebody else. Um, Anything but taking responsibility. And I would have lost my mind. Yeah. Webb Simpson looks down at the ball, does not step away to recompose himself, does not take a deep breath, doesn't his steam's not coming out of his ears. He looks at it like, I guess I got to hit this again. Mm -hmm. Does not take a practice swing, gets up, addresses the ball, hits it perfectly, and it goes in for his saving part. (laughs) How in the hell do you (laughs) drop that shot after doing that? And what I thought was incredible is we talk all the time about how the golfers are stronger and have to learn how to hit a certain way and stuff. We never really address the emotions that go in it and how you have to have professional composure like that, where you hit a shot that just makes you want to go nuts and to just take a second, readdress the ball, and then put it in. What kind of superhuman ability does that take?
2: A lot, and that's why he's playing golf for a living and not talking.
3: That's right. It's <laughs> exactly what I thought. For all of the things that golfers need, what a golfer probably needs the most is the ability to control his emotions. Yeah, and that's never spoken of. And, and I just thought that was incredible. One to have the... somebody be able to do that. And by the way, the crowd went crazy when the ball went in.
2: One of the, the, the best golf quotes ever came from Ben Hogan, who said the most important shot in golf is the next one.
3: Hmm. Well said. Yeah.
2: How about that? Huh? Wish I'd come up with it, but there you go.
3: Well, shout out to Webb Simpson. That was, that was a remarkable lesson for all of us in, um, you know, having some failure and then quickly recovering from it and having just that same level yeah. of success on the other end so it's well great.
2: done sir it's great we just extol the virtues of these guys talent uh, and their abilities on a weekly basis they just blow you away one of the guys who actually pioneered being able to see these guys play and get to the uh, level that they are at keith hirschland who's one of the original producers at the golf channel is our guest and he's coming up next hang with us right here on the approach shop
3: There's a revolution going on in the world of shaving, and its name is Harry's. Have you dumped your overpriced, still have to go to the drugstore? My dad used these blades. I have. I switched to Harry's. With Harry's, you don't have to choose between a great shave and a fair price. My Harry's razor contours to my face and gives me a close, comfortable shave at a great price. And you know what else? My Harry's razor stays sharper longer. They believe in the quality of their blades so much you get a 100% money-back guarantee. Why don't you join me in the revolution and you'll become a fan of Harry's too. For a limited time, Harry's is offering listeners of The Approach Shot their starter set at harrys.com slash approach. The starter set includes a five-blade razor, a weighted ergonomic handle foaming shave gel, and a travel blade cover, a $13 value, all for just $3. There's never been a better time to try Harry's. Go to harrys.com slash approach to redeem this offer today. That's a $13 value for only $3. But to get it, you have to go to harrys.com slash approach.
2: You know, men's health doesn't get uh, much attention at all. And that's probably our fault, guys, because we hate going to the doctor. And we definitely don't like talking about sensitive issues. We don't share our feelings. Well, here's the thing. A lot of men's health issues have really simple solutions, ironically. And RexMD.com is here for that. You see, RexMD makes getting prescription ED medication easy. It's all done online and from the comfort of your home. Then it's delivered. No office visits. No talking to the receptionist. Super simple. And right now, sample packs of ED medications are available for listeners of The Approach Out, and I'll tell you how to get those in a second. So it's simpler than ever to get started. Here's how it works: You fill out a quick medical questionnaire on their website, and a doctor reviews your situation and prescribes you the ED medication you need, if appropriate. Then your medication is shipped right to your door with free two-day shipping. Those sample pack prescriptions I mentioned are available at rexmd.com/approach. R e x R-E-X M dot slash approach to get started with RexMD. Rexmd.com/approach. And thanks for hanging and coming back. This is the approach shot, as we have told you often enough. I'm John Ashton. He is Neil Michaels, and our guest, who we have promised to show, is here.
3: And he showered <laughs> and combed his hair it's yeah. because he has your hair, John. He does. He has. He has a full head of hair, so he won't be doing the Nutrafol commercial later. That'll be me with this.
2: With yeah, dome up there. Yeah.
3: Keith Hursland is with us, and, and immediately, if you're watching this on video instead of listening on the podcast, over Keith's right shoulder and done intentionally to impress and kind of put us in our place is his <laughs> Emmy award.
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm very proud of that. First of all, I, I got a lot of things from my dad and, uh, luckily and, and good hair was, was one of them. I, I look at that Emmy with awe a, a lot, a very proud moment for us at, at golf channel. It was the network's first ever Emmy award. And, uh, it was for something that that we kind of took a chance on. It was for the putting line uh, that we put on the screen. We called it Aim Point at the time and uh, got some recognition in the industry. And it was really a lot of fun to win that Emmy. So I'm very proud of that.
3: What year was that? Do you remember? Uh, I
4: believe it was 2007.
3: So you guys had been on the air about 12 years. For for people who don't know, Keith started with the Golf Channel back in 1994 when the broadcast uh, when the network went on the air in 95. Keith was. A big part of it before it even started so uh, we thank you for for bringing us the golf channel that has changed a lot of lives
4: well it changed mine for darn sure and uh <laughs> you know I, I i look back on it and there are a lot of a lot of really talented people uh that took a chance on something that most folks said would never succeed would never would never last more than six months to a year and uh you know, it was a great group of folks down there in the beginning at the Golf Channel in in late 94. And, of course, when we launched in 95 and uh yeah. uh changed my life forever. And I'll, I'll be forever grateful to guys like Mike Whalen and Bob Greenway and Joe Gibbs.
2: That, that brings me to a, a question that I have for all you guys who pioneered that whole network is how much of a leap of faith for you
4: personally was it to accept that? Uh, I would, I would you know you know those cliff divers that uh, you know jump <laughs> off <laughs> uh, into that tiny pool of water um you know it was a, it was a huge leap of faith and and you know the 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 logical sane person inside I'm sure any of us you know was saying you know the the person on the the one shoulder was saying don't do it don't do it don't do it don't do it right. and um it, for me you know I had a great job at ESPN probably a pretty decent bright future there but I wanted to get back in the golf space and I wanted to, you know, I loved producing golf when I was doing that for the folks at ESPN. Uh, I love being around professional golfers. I think they're, you know, they're among the best athletes in the world in terms of giving up their time and and the way they treat people in the media and, and other things. And uh, I, I found my stride in that, in that golf truck. And this was an opportunity to get back into, into golf. You know, you kind of put aside all the naysayers and all the, all the folks that said, uh, you know, you'll be coming back here with your, you know, with your tail between your legs in six months and, um, and just said, you know, let's go do this. And, um, yeah. I met a number of people when I went down there in September and October, every single one of them was 110% committed to the effort. You know, there was no doubts. There was no people sitting back there going, Oh my gosh, what have I done? Um, it was all full steam ahead. And, uh, it worked out, <laughs> luckily for me, I guess, and all those folks. Um, you know, we kind of made people believers
3: in the '90s. About the same time you were at the Golf Channel, I was at Home Team Sports, which was a, a regional sports network in the Baltimore, yeah. Washington area. We went through a lot of the same things. People, you know, would a regional sports network ever catch on, and all that kind of thing. And, and there was definitely a, a core belief that everything was going to work. But the <laughs> difference is, you worked live production. And I know that we had a bunch of studio shows, but we also ke- uh, carried the Baltimore Orioles and and the Washington Bullets and the Washington Capitals. Doing live stuff—it's it, a disaster waiting to happen. Something yeah. is gonna, some lightning is gonna hit the truck or something. How do you get into that and think? I know there's going to be stuff, but we got the team to handle it.
4: Yeah, I guess another one of those leaps of faith. I, I had, <laughs> first of all, I had great mentors coming up in the business, uh, especially in the golf space. Uh, The folks that did ESPN's golf, you know, from Don Olmeyer to Andy Young to Steve Baim on down um, were great mentors and great teachers. You know, I was able to, thanks again to the folks at the golf channel. They kind of they trusted the those folks that had the experience. To your point, we had a number of studio shows. They were, you know, Mike Whalen and Bob Greenway and and the and the production heads at the golf channel were focused on making sure those studio shows went well and looked good and got off the ground. They put their faith in us, the team that they they hired to do live tournaments. And basically what we did was we, the director that I worked with had worked golf for a number of years. I hired some uh, associate producers that had done golf, done live golf. Um, we had a system in place that was much like the ESPN system that we used when I was working for the Ohlmeyer group, you know, we hired the camera guys. It's a lot of things that people don't understand is that those camera folks, those folks behind the scenes, the really the the nuts and bolts of a live golf television broadcast um, work for every network. They're all freelancers. You know, Mm. CBS does not employ golf cameramen. They hire them and they're the same guys that work NBC's golf and that work ABC's golf, work ESPN's golf. And for us, we were lucky enough to get a number of those guys to work our golf. So um, we had a great team. We put a really nice team together and the folks at Golf Channel, again, lucky for me, kind of said, we trust you. You go do what you do because we got a lot of things down here in Orlando to worry about. And, uh, you know, it was really a little bit of the wild, wild west. We were we were lucky enough to be able to try things and do things that, you know, maybe we wouldn't have been able to do if we had closer eyes on us at the time. So, yeah, uh, it was a ton of fun.
2: Speaking of being in Orlando, how do you how do you feel about the operation moving to that hotbed of golf, Stanford, Connecticut?
4: Yeah, uh, no surprise. Uh, you know, you kind of Orlando. Or when we first started, it was funny because when Golf Channel first started, Joe Gibbs, who started it, not obviously not the uh, not the auto racing football coach Joe Gibbs, but he was a Birmingham, Alabama businessman, made all his money with cell towers and and things in, in Birmingham, Alabama, and that's where he wanted the Golf Channel to be headquartered. Mm -hmm. And when he first started trying to hire people to come work and start the golf channel, it was going to be in Birmingham. And he had a number of people tell him people aren't going to move to Birmingham. You know, people aren't going to leave their jobs at other networks and other places to take it. First of all, it's going to be hard to get them to take a chance on this. And it's going to be really hard to get them to take a chance. If you're telling them they have to move to Birmingham, Alabama, nothing against Birmingham. I've been there. It's a beautiful city, but you know, folks around him and, and smarter people than me convinced him that the place to be would be a golf-centered community. A lot of pros live in Orlando. A lot of golfers live in Orlando. You'll be get, able to get them to come down to the studios and appear on shows. You know, Plus, it's going to be a lot easier to tell a person who has a family with young kids Hey, we want you to relocate to Orlando. We got Disney World and Universal Studios and SeaWorld. And, you know, the climate's beautiful and blah, 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 blah. So they they decided on Orlando. When Comcast bought the network and then with the NBC takeover and all that folded all together, everybody knew that it was just a matter of time before Golf Channel wouldn't be in Florida much longer. So um, I'm not surprised. It's a shame. Uh, Because, again, you know, you lose out on so much, you know, by not being in a place where there are golfers. But uh, business people will do what business people do. Exactly. But like like they
2: say, like you mentioned, too, there ain't no ham like Birmingham. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
3: Hey, I was listening to a podcast that you were on recently, and I, I thought this was one of those perfect moments when I heard you talking about why broadcasters talk over the moment. And I think we've all experienced that where, you, where you're watching something and, and the drama builds by itself and you just are living in the moment. And then a broadcaster decides he's going to lay it all out for you and kind of takes you out of that wonderful imaginative moment and you're listening to him instead.
4: Oh man, that was one of the things that drove me. I mean, I, that was, if I had, I had a lot of pet peeves as a producer, but that, <laughs> that was, that was the most important, important one I thought for the broadcast. It's easy and hard at the same time to criticize announcers for that um, because it's in their nature, especially the the announcers that were former players and former, uh, you know, had lived those experiences you know, they're eager to, you know, it's like, here's what's happening. Here's what's going on. Here's what this guy's thinking about. And, and they fail to think about if the player is talking to his caddy, he's doing a better job of explaining what's going through his mind than you can do trying to explain what's going through his mind. So um, I always made it a point when we went to a shot Especially if, because I could hear a lot of times also they can't hear, you know, they're listening to their, their, their hearing ability is a a little limited because they're hearing me, they're hearing the other announcers. They're also hearing. So it's kind of hard to pick up the fact that maybe a caddy and a player are speaking to each other in the moment, but it's much easier for me to hear it because I'm sitting in a truck and have big speakers and can see that they're, that's what's going on. And I always made it a point to say, let's go down, you know, Tiger's second shot of 15. Everybody be quiet. He's talking to his caddy. Or, you know, hold out, lay out, lay out until they're finished talking to his caddy. And I tried to drill that home with my announcers. Luckily for me, you know, I had some good students on the ground like Jerry Foltz and and in the booth like Kurt Byram and folks that kind of took that to heart and realized that, yeah, that's the better TV. That's what's, you know, going to make, the guys at home kind of maybe sit up and listen. So I'm going to lay out at this point. And, and, you know, I listen to those folks today on TV and I'm still proud to heck of them because Jerry will still, if a caddy and a player are talking, he will, he won't talk until, you know, they're finished. And so I always kind of give him a little 6,000 mile away pat on the back for that.
2: Just, just <laughs> like I taught him.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I'll never forget early on watching a tournament. I don't remember the tournament. I don't remember the announcer. But I remember, for whatever reason, Tom Watson is stuck in my head, was was putting on 18 on some tournament, you know, years ago. And he was lining it up, and they're doing the whisper talk, and they're doing the whisper talk. He gets up to the ball, and as he brings the club back, the announcer spews out, oh, the wind is in his face, (laughs) just as he's putting. And I'm thinking... What the hell? First of all, we don't need the weather forecast. I I mean, I get why you're saying it. But could you have waited maybe to afterward to say, oh, he did that and the wind"? Nope. Right at the moment that he was striking the ball. And it just destroyed the moment.
4: Yeah, it, it does. And, you know, it's funny. I still, Kay Cockrell and I still correspond. And there will be times when just out of the blue, I'll get a, you know, I'll get a text from her or something that says, you know, in quotes, it'll be, why is anybody talking right now? Which is one of the things I said all the time because we go down to a pivotal moment in the tournament and, you know, all of a sudden an, an announcer would open his mouth and I would immediately get on the IFP and just say, shut up, why are people talking right now? You know, because it's like, let the moment breathe and let it happen. And I love the fact that when Tiger won the Masters this last time, you know, everybody was like, heaping praise on on cbs and and jim nance and nick falda who do it do a great job because they didn't say anything for three minutes or whatever it's like well i would hope they wouldn't say anything for three minutes and if they had if i'd have been in the truck i'd have told the audio guy to cut their mics (laughs) you don't need to hear from anybody at that moment except the roar of the crowd Tie, you know, the natural reaction, everything that's going on. Give us three minutes to enjoy a moment. Keith Hersland, Emmy Award winning yeah. producer from the Golf Channel, is our guest here on the
2: Approach Shot. And uh, we're going to take a quick break and then come back because even though he had like the coolest job in the world, he, he decided to change careers.
3: And now has the coolest job in the world. And it, and
2: it just got better. So
3: we're going to talk about that when we come right
2: back. Hang with us. We are on the Approach Shot.
3: When it comes to thinning hair, sadly, I'm a bit of an expert. Hey, it's Neil Michaels, and I'm here to tell you about Nutrafol. Nutrafol is clinically shown to improve hair growth, thickness, and visible scalp coverage without compromise. Its 21 potent natural ingredients also support sex drive, better sleep, and less stress. Not bad, huh? Nutrafol is the hair supplement that goes beyond genetics to target stress, hormones, nutrition, metabolism, and environmental factors, all of which might be Impacting your hair growth. Guys, in a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after just three and six months. Nutrifol is also trusted and recommended by over 1,500 top doctors. You too can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show by going to Nutrifol.com and entering the promo code approach to save $15 off your first month subscription. That's the best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus, free shipping on every order. Get $15 off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code APPROACH. When I was a kid, I used to hear my parents and other relatives complain all the time about their pain. I couldn't understand why it was always a topic of conversation, but now that I'm getting older myself, I understand. Hey, it's Neil, and especially, man, after I play a round of golf, I'm stiff, and both my knee and my right heel hurt. That's why I decided to try Relief Factor. I was skeptical anything could help me, but I'm a believer now. It's not like I feel miraculously better... The pain is just not there, so I almost forget what a difference Relief Factor has made in my life. Relief Factor is 100% drug-free. It has four key ingredients that support a different metabolic pathway to help your body heal naturally from both the pain and the inflammation. Tens of thousands of people just like you are using it today to become mostly or completely pain-free. So join me in this pain-free revolution. Visit relieffactor.com approach and order the three-week quick start. It's discounted to just $19.95. That's less than a dollar a day. Order today and in a few short weeks you could be pain-free too. Go to relieffactor.com slash approach and feel the difference for yourself
2: hey we said hang with us and you did and we thank you i'm john ashton he is neil michaels keith hershland is our guest keith hershland former emmy a winning producer for the golf channel current
3: author mystery writer yeah not bad what's up with that man well, <laughs> and, and to start with how gutsy of you to have your first book be basically your life story. Yeah, well, it didn't start
4: out that way. I, oh, I have to be okay. <laughs> my parents passed. My dad passed away in two thousand and seven. My mom about a year later. You know, like I said earlier, they were huge influences on my life. I, you know, just tremendous people. Started up, you know, a, a television station in Reno, Nevada. Um, my dad was a, a broadcasting pioneer in Northern Nevada for years and years and years. And when they passed away. Sarah and I were over, uh, you know, kind of doing what you do when your folks pass away. We were going through their stuff and trying to figure out, you know, what they had, what we should keep, what we should, you know, what we should do with everything. And we came across a couple of boxes in a closet. And Sarah, who would become my wife later that year, hadn't really had an opportunity to spend a lot of time with my parents which is one of my greatest regrets. But we came across these boxes and we started going through them. And there were all these just memorabilia letters uh, from commendations and my dad's Nevada Broadcasting Hall of Fame award and tons of newspaper articles about my folks. And and Sarah looked at me and she just said, you know, don't let this be your kids when you're gone looking in a box and going, oh, my gosh, I had no idea Dad won an Emmy and dad helped start two television networks and dad was on a game show and dad, you know, was able to spend time around and work with some of the greatest people in sports and broadcasting television. And she said, start writing your story, some of these stories down in a journal and just put some stories down on paper to leave to them so they can look back and read about, you know, your career and your life. And so I said, well, that's a good idea. So I started doing that and about two thirds of the way into it. I kind of realized, well, heck, you know, nobody's written a book about the beginning of the Golf Channel. Nobody's told stories about how ESPN2, you know, how ESPN2 came about and, and what those early days were like. And so maybe this could be a book. And so that's how Cover Me Boys I'm Going In kind of turned into a book. I was telling these stories about, the, you know, the earliest days of the Golf Channel that nobody had told before. And I thought, well, maybe somebody would be interested in reading this. So, yeah. so we did that. And then I realized I enjoyed the process of writing so much. At that time, that was a transition when I was leaving pretty much full-time broadcasting, my broadcasting career, uh, partly because of the book. The folks at, at NBC and Comcast weren't thrilled about some of the stories that I told, but at the same time, you know, I'd I'd been doing I'd been there for 19 years, and and it was in a transition period, and. And I was in a transition period. So it was a perfect time to try and reinvent myself and say, you know, okay, what's next? And what next turned out to be, well, I enjoyed writing this book so much. Let me try my hand at fiction. And so I wrote a mystery. And then I wrote another one. And then I wrote another one. And I just finished another one. So it's, you know, it's, it's been an amazing kind of rebirth for me. And one I've just really loved.
3: <laughs> you've got, you've got Cover me, boys. I'm going in. That was the, the one that you were just talking about, m- mostly a memoir. We have Big Flies. We have The Flower Girl Murder, and then we have the one that John and I just absolutely love because of the sarcasm with it. Murphy Murphy from the Department of Redundancy Department, which <laughs> yeah. right out of our line of humor.
4: Yeah, well, it was fun. That was a fun one to write. And I'd written, you know, kind of what I felt like were serious mysteries. And, and I decided, you know, I want to have a little fun with the next one. And what I thought about was, again, one of my pet peeves as a producer, which was, announcers using redundant phrases, you know, like very unique or completely filled or, you know, just silly stuff, you know, free gift. You know, it's like, so I thought, can I write an entire book centered around redundant phrases, seeing how many redundant phrases I can get into the story, the dialogue, and of course, it had to start with the main character whose name is redundant in Murphy Murphy. And he had to be a detective that worked out of the Department of Redundancy Department. And he had to solve a case that involved a rock and roll band called Serious Crisis. And so all these things kind of came together. And it turned out that there were there's more than 120 redundant phrases in this book that started out kind of a as a lark, you know, as a seeing if I could do it. And it turned into, you know, what a lot of people are saying is a pretty fun read. So I'm thrilled about that. And, oh, by the way, there's going to be a sequel, which I'm working on now, whereas Murphy Murphy is hired by the Commission on Clichés. to solve. <laughs> So There will be, <laughs> there will be rampant <laughs> clichés uh, in this in this next sequel.
3: And his uh, sidekick, Richard Richardson or Tommy Thompson?
2: Exactly. (laughs) Let me ask you a technique question, man. From being the producer in the broadcast business, which is 14,000 things happening all at once, to being an author, which is straight. You think about it, you translate it to paper. Your brain had to slow down a whole lot, didn't it, to, to be able to handle that? Cause I know when I try to write, my brain is so fast. I get bored <laughs> putting it on paper. Cause my yeah, brain sometimes
4: is- it's hard. And some- yes, you do have to, you know, you kind of have to just put the brakes on, but you know, I still, I still find myself thinking three and four chapters ahead. Three. And I try to, I really have to kind of calm myself down and and say, let's concentrate on this, you know, kind of one page at a time thing, or we're releasing Song Girl which is the one I just finished. The folks at Beacon Publishing Group have been so good to me and and we're releasing that one after the first of the year and that again you'll enjoy I hope you'll enjoy this but the premise of that one was I thought can I write a book where the main character suffers some kind of trauma ends up in a coma when he or she wakes from that coma she can only speak in song lyrics. Uh, that was it. and that what and so as I got started writing I realized I couldn't write the whole book that way, because it just wouldn't make any sense. But I could make one of the main characters have that happen to them. And I made it a sequel to The Flower Girl Murder. It's titled Song Girl. She's one of the the main characters in the book. I also found out, you'll be interested to know, that my brother's in the music industry, and I was running this past him. And I thought, now, who do I need to talk to to kind of get clearance to make sure it's okay that I can use these song lyrics in my book? And he said, you can't. He said that you're, you're going to, you will be sued from, from, you know, from here to there, uh, because that's basically, you can't do that. They, they'll never give you clearance. You can't do it. And, but then I realized or he said that, but song titles are fair game. So the character had to, had to kind of morph into some of that when she woke up from this trauma, she could only speak in song titles. So, uh, you know, there are a number of those in that book. But anyway, it's it is a, it's a different process because when you're doing live golf or you're sitting in a truck, I'm listening to 10 or 12 people. I'm trying to talk to another handful of people, the directors talking to the to the cameramen, 10 different things going on in the truck. You never know when X, Y, and Z is going to happen. And, and you really have to, you're looking at 70 television screens, you know, that all have something different on them. And so it, your brain is working overtime. Uh, there inside the TV truck. I always love when people are like, "Oh, I love golf. It's boring. I can nap to it." And you know, I was <laughs> like, "Well, come in the truck." Hey,
3: yeah. I have a we have a bone to pick with you, sir. good. Okay. what you do know. you mean, we? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll jump on this really fast, John. Okay. So, Mister Hirschland, who I oh, thought was a friend of ours, oh, who boy. I thought was a comrade, who I thought was one of us, uh-huh. was quoted in an article as saying he really enjoys playing golf with his wife what's wrong with you why would you do that to us that's four hours (laughs) of peace and quiet dude (laughs) why are you doing that to us now they're gonna want to join us
4: (laughs) i'm sorry it's just it's fun i enjoy playing with her she's a good player we play fast it's fun. Um, I, but that's not, not to say I don't enjoy playing with the guys. I do that too. So what's don't that? Don't
3: let them in the club. They want to be part of it. They, no, that's supposed. We're supposed to tell them how horrible it is, so they can <laughs> let us have four hours of not being with them.
2: Neil, unlike you, his wife likes him. Oh, so <laughs> well, there you go. I went relate an experience. I, I, I was playing golf, and there were. Busy, of course, there were just two of us, so they hooked us up with another twosome, and it was a man and his wife. And after about the 14th or 15th hole, they are having a good time, and I said, you know, really would be cool. I wish my wife played golf, because I'd love to come out and play golf with my wife. And the guy standing behind his wife going, <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> just well, shaking his head, no. My wife recently said, hey, why don't you take me out to the driving range? And let's let me show me how to play. And I was like, you know, I'm busy that day.
4: <laughs> and the next <laughs> Whatever day that and is the next. Right. I, I played golf my entire life. My folks played golf. They taught us the game, um, you know, growing up in Reno, we, you know, it was kind of the family thing. We went out. I had two. I have two brothers, one older, one younger. We played as a family. I played my entire life when I worked at the Golf Channel. You know, we traveled, our clubs traveled on the trucks, so our clubs would, we'd throw our clubs in the bays, and, you know, they'd meet us at the golf course, and we'd get out, and, you know, they always set us up at a really nice golf course in town, and we'd go jump out of the truck, run to the first tee. My golf game deteriorated, like, you know, in no time, and I suddenly got really frustrated and started not liking the game I loved for four decades. I met Sarah and she was just learning. Uh, We would go out after her work, you know, 5.30 in the evening. I would just take a wedge because I didn't want to take my clubs. I didn't want to play. But then I'd start, you know, just hitting a couple of wedge shots here and walking the golf course at sunset. And, you know, I thought this is what I love about this game. And so I just kind of rekindled my love for it. And I have to give her credit for that. And you know, are guilty as charged. I love playing golf with my wife.
2: <laughs> well, we, we will allow that because you're yeah, not alone.
3: I, you're not I alone. guess if you love your wife and stuff, sure. <laughs>
2: <laughs> now, Keith, I know we have and, and Keith Hirschland is, is our guest here on the approach shot. And I know we have asked you a lot of questions so far, but we've got like this special group of six of them. And we're gonna come back and ask them of you in just a minute. You are the approach shot.
3: I played 18 this weekend and got paired with two other guys. After a hole or two, one of them asked me what I was drinking there in my cart. I told him it was an Arnold Palmer Spiked. He gave me a look that told me he'd never had an Arnold Palmer Spiked. How could you have gone all summer without having an Arnold Palmer Spiked, I asked. It's the classic taste of iced tea and lemonade with 5% ABV. Made with real juice and brewed teas for a smooth flavor that's as easygoing as that... 10-foot putt you just made. You're welcome, guy in the purple golf shirt. For classic refreshment that tastes like playing 18 with a new friend, nothing beats Arnold Palmer Spiked. It's the perfect balance of brewed teas and real juice, now with 5% ABV. Find Arnold Palmer Spiked in a store near you at arnoldpalmerspiked.com approach. Or search for it on Drizzly and Instacart. That's arnoldpalmerspiked.com approach. 2021 Hornell Brewing Company, Memphis, Tennessee, malt beverage with natural flavor. Celebrate responsibly.
2: Thanks for hanging with us. We are back again. John Ashton with Neil Michaels and our guest, Keith Hursland, Emmy Award winning former producer from the uh, Golf Channel. Now a big time writer. Author, whatever the appropriate term is, and again, he's just kind of like sitting back and being cool and having his own gig, and not working for a living, which is exactly. good. When you can make money and be happy and not not make it look like you're working for a living, that's that's what I, I love about this. Because I go play golf and make it look like, I, well, I gotta go talk about this later. So I'm actually working. <laughs> there. You go. But we have we have a six pack. And Mr. Neal has been working on it for at least the last 15, 20 minutes. <laughs>
3: <laughs> All that research. And the six-pack is brought to you by Arnold Palmer Spiked. Go to com slash approach to find a retailer near you. If you haven't already done that, that means you haven't drank it yet. If you haven't drank it yet, what are you doing? That stuff is awesome. little mix of... Uh, you know, your regular Arnold Palmer, tea and lemon with 5% ABV, go do it. All right. Six pack of questions. Are you ready? You started your career with 18 years of being part of and running the live production team at the Golf Channel, as we've talked about. Who is the best broadcaster from that era?
4: Oh, boy. Um, I think that the the best broadcaster and one that I was fortunate enough to work with a, a, a few times was Vince Scully. You know, I think he just he's such a pro and was such a nice man. This coming from a lifelong San Francisco Giants fan. Um, <laughs> I have nothing but respect for, for Vince Scully. And that, if, if, you know, if you're asking for these answers off the top of my head, I would, I would put Vinny right at the top.
3: There you go. Yes, off the top of your head with your beautiful locks. Stop it. Stop <laughs> Stop rubbing that in. Question two, in a golf version of Field of Dreams, you get to play a three-on-three where you get to pick one golfer from before 1990 and one from after 1990 to complete your team. Who do you choose and why?
4: Uh, I, I'll take Arnold Palmer because... I just have to, you know, and when I was a kid, he was, you know, we all wanted to be like Arnie, you know, the, the swagger and the, you know, the way he carried himself on the golf course and, and what he brought to the game. And, and again, part of the the blessing that I had is, being at Golf Channel for 19 years and ESPN before that for a handful of years was that we got to spend a lot of time with Mr. Palmer and it was always a treasure. And then I would take Tiger Woods. I might take Tiger Woods before 1992, but those two, it would be intimidating as hell, but uh, it would be quite an experience.
3: Well, then you could just be there for the, you know, for the humor. Exactly. (laughs) Question three. We all love golf because every once in a while you see those miracle shots, a ball skimming off a tree and landing in the middle of the fairway or skipping off the water and landing on a green. In 19 years of coverage, what miracle shot did you see that was your all-time favorite?
4: Oh, gosh. Holy cow. You got me stumped on that one. I'm just trying to think back on all the great golf shots I saw and was lucky enough you know, to be sitting in a truck and witness. I think I go back to, and and it's not going. This is not going to be a satisfactory answer, and I apologize for it. But the events that I televised that meant the most to me personally were the PGA Professional National Championship and the qualifying tour, PGA Tour qualifying tournament, because all of those tournaments were at the at their heart not about trophies or checks. They were about life-changing, career-changing moments. And, you know, not one shot, but I would just look back on all of those times where a guy got his card or a PGA professional qualified for the PGA championship. You know, somebody, you know, made a birdie on the final hole of six rounds of Q school, you know, to get in there and get his card. And, and those are the moments when I look back on my career at the Golf Channel that I will remember, you know, long into the future.
3: Excellent. Excellent. Great answer. Question four, going off the air in the middle of a live broadcast or three-putting 18 with a crowd watching, which gives you worse nightmares?
4: Going off the air, I mean, that's an unforgivable sin, you know, and the fact that networks now, luckily networks have other places to go, you know, NBC can flip it over to the Golf Channel, CBS, and I know Golf Channel takes a lot of that stuff, even from CBS, but, you know, it was one of the things when we first started, we will never... Leave the tournament with golf on the golf course, and we could do that in those early years at the Golf Channel because we didn't have anywhere else to go. I mean, people weren't sitting on their edge of their seats. No disrespect to the guys that produced Golf Central, but people weren't sitting on the edge of their seats waiting for Golf Central to come on. They were watching live tournament golf, and so as long as there and we sat through, we had we had some shows that were six, seven hours long. We sat through rain delays or we came on the air late and, you know, people hadn't teed off yet. I remember one LPGA event we did in Naples where we showed every single player in the tournament because we had a rain delay and they didn't tee off until late. And we stayed on the air for seven and a half hours. And so, you know, that was one of the great things about Golf Channel and the bosses in those early days. They were like, why would we leave live golf? So I would say going off the air with golf still on, on the golf course is the one thing that would give me nightmares. I three-putt all the time. <laughs>
3: <laughs> kind of on the other side of the same question. Question five. The broadcast brat, Genie, grants you one wish. Would you rather be a New York Times bestseller or drop a hole-in-one in front of a crowd?
4: Oh, man. Um I'm convinced I'm never going to get a hole in one. So uh, I would say that selfishly and egotistically, uh, I would love for one of my books to be at the top of the New York Times bestseller list um, because that, that, that would just, you know, kind of give me a ton of validation and a ton of joy. And the fact that people thought when I was putting pen to paper that it was worthy of a read would be would be something that I'd be intensely proud of.
3: I'm getting the feeling that there are going to be a lot of people who are going to think your stuff is worthy of a read. And hopefully, we can help you with that. Question six, and we ask this of everybody who comes on because we are the approach shot. In your approach to life, Keith, what one rule do you live by?
4: I, just, uh, and, and this is going to sound kind of pie in the sky I guess, too, but be, you know, be a good person. Treat people the way you would like to be treated. I mean, I think that there is so much craziness going on especially in the world today that if you can just be a good person you know greet people with a smile or say hello or or you know approach life with a good attitude because if you approach life with a good attitude i'm pretty certain at least it has for me good things will happen to you so um there's always going to be ups and downs but you know if you get up every day and say you know i'm going to be a good person today i think that does wonders
3: and that is our six pack. You are off the hot seat. Well done, uh, sir.
2: Yeah, no need to worry. Same with self promotion, Keith. Uh, how, can, how can folks find your book right now?
4: Oh, thanks for that. There are a couple of places. You know, you always go to Amazon. Amazon.com has all my books. Uh, KeithHershlin.com tells you a little story about me and my background. And then also you can get the books through there. BeaconPublishingGroup.com. Again, i got to give a shout out to those guys because they've been so good to me. And they they found Cover Me Boys. We had, produced, we had published it originally, self-published it. And um, they found it and reached out to me and and asked if they could republish it. That started uh, my my association with them, and they've been with me now for the last three books. So um, I really appreciate them. So um, yeah, those are the those are kind of the three places you can find me, and you know, read the books and tell me what you think—good, bad, or indifferent.
2: Yeah, definitely, we definitely will. Keith Hirschland, man, great <laughs> to meet you. Great you to uh, actually, you know, see somebody who who took the leap of faith and and helped create one of the cable channels that we all kind of live on now.
4: (laughs) Yeah. All those stories are in cover me boys. So, so I I encourage everybody, if you're interested in golf or golf TV to, to, to give it a, give it a look.
3: And John and I are going to walk around and, um, do as much redundant speaking before <laughs> and after this interview as we can, so we can get into the whole Murphy Murphy thing.
2: We're not going to be redundant, maybe
3: repetitive. There you go. Yeah. Either one of those. Yeah. We'll, we'll see. Keith, <laughs> thanks so much for being with us. It was an absolute joy to have you.
4: I loved it. Thanks again.
3: Thank you. And thanks for joining us here on The Approach Shot. Hang on. We'll be right back. Hey, let's talk a little about daily fantasy sports here. See, I love to play, but I haven't had a lot of success, and it's been a little frustrating. Apparently, I'm not the only one, because 85% of the people who play lose. So, when we started talking with Stat Hero about advertising here in the show, I asked, What makes Stat Hero different? The answer made me a believer. See, Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head to head fantasy matchup, winner take all. No one else does that. Since I signed up back in late May, I've won about as much as I've lost, which is only because there are three Dodgers hitters that always seem to screw up my stats. Seriously, this is the most fun I've ever had playing DFS. So come on and join me. Go to StatHero.com approach, sign up for free, and right now you can get three times back on your first play. They're giving you a 300% match. That's unheard of. Go to StatHero.com slash approach. StatHero.com approach.
1: Texting enrolls you into recurring automated text messages. Message and data rates may apply. Men, want to feel younger, stronger, leaner? You don't have to slow down after 40. Frank Thomas found the secret to staying in shape with the energy and drive of his 20s. Man, you look like you could still hit it a mile. I feel great too. What gives? After 40, men slow down. It's harder to stay in shape. Why? Our free testosterone levels drop. I got to try NuGenix Total Tea. Text GRIT to 321321 for your complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea. That's G-R-I-T to 321321.
2: Talk about talented, man. By the way, this is The Approach Shot. As we've been telling you, welcome back. I'm John Ashton. He is Neil Michaels. Keith Herschel has
3: left the building. How impressed were you as he sat down and just looked over and saw that Emmy? Just, you know, oh yeah, just happened to be there. Happened to have it here, you know, just just like I've got, yeah, nothing. <laughs> got a,
2: quick, a quick little aside, here in, in Louisville, a friend of mine is a, a local news producer for one of the uh, TV stations here, and she won an Emmy this year. Mm-hmm. And then she posted on Facebook just the other day that the Kentucky State Fair is about to start and she's entering three different cookie recipes (laughs) and and she wants to win. And I, I just told her, I said, you know, Kara, I think an Emmy and a Blue Ribbon in the same year is just overachieving to it's just too much
3: the, the, be happy and move it, on you know? it's exactly it sets you up for 2022 to just coast <laughs> okay i got the blue ribbon nothing bigger than that i got the emmy nothing bigger than that oh, retirement man. sounds good still, i'm still going to be angry at Keith at for you know playing with his wife
2: yeah it starts a dangerous precedent for you i
3: understand i gotta tell you that's supposed to be a four-hour vacation man and i love my <laughs> wife but you know and she said to me the other day you know we were talking about it and i said well you know i don't play as much as i should because i feel like and she cut me off and she said don't you blame me for this she said you go out there and get out you get out and leave me alone for four go. hours and i thought wait has <laughs> is that permission or was, or was that like what was that? Is there gonna am, am, is this gonna bite me in the ass later? I'm sure it's going to.
2: <laughs> when I was a young child, I used to sit with my father and watch his favorite TV show, which was the Dick Van Dyke Show.
3: Wow,
2: nice. I think my dad had a little secret crush on Mary Tyler Moore. Who
3: didn't?
2: <laughs> Not that no, I blame him. Nice. <laughs> yeah, but there was one song that she sang that I remember the chorus of that to this day means a lot, and it was just togetherness is pulling us apart.
3: <laughs> <laughs> uh, so with, with that, that <laughs> in mind, let's, let's, let's be together again next week. What do you say?
2: We will do that. And, and do keep uh, paying attention because Keith Hursland has offered us an extensive collection of his fiction and nonfiction works that we will be giving away in the not too distant future.
3: You know, if he, if he sends one of each, then we'll be giving away nothing until we finish reading our (laughs) copy. We love you guys guys as listeners, but get in line. I
2: was going to say, if if you win it and they're dog-eared, hey, you
3: know. Then John will sign it and say, this pizza stain (laughs) authored by John Ashton. (laughs) But if he does send us multiple copies, then hang out, and we'll definitely be uh, giving them away. And again, it's Cover Me, Boys, I'm Going In. That's the uh, autobiography-ish book. Then Big Flies, The Flower Girl Murder, and Murphy Murphy from the Department of Redundancy Department. (laughs) That's right. Man, I enjoyed this guy.
2: And whether you're going out with or without your wife to play golf, remember the same people invented golf and called it a game that invented bagpipes and called it music.
3: And also remember life, she is a gift. Go open it.
1: You've been listening to The Approach Shot with the Weekend Golf Guys. If you like this week's episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you download your podcasts. And find us on the web at approachshot.net.